Hey there, teacher friend. Welcome to another episode of the Simply Teach podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Jackson, and each week I bring on a teacher friend to talk about simple ways to engage our students, stay motivated, and keep up with best practices. I'm so glad that you're here. I have a favor to ask of you. If you've been listening to the show and you've been enjoying it, I would love it if you could leave a rating and a review on iTunes. It's super easy. All you have to do is search Simply Teach on iTunes and then click on the reviews tab. The reason I'm asking you to do this is not to boost my ego, but to boost this podcast up in the rankings. People can't find it if y'all don't tell people about it. So leave a review. And if you're feeling extra generous, share it with a teacher friend. This week, my guest is Courtney Talley. Courtney is currently an exchange teacher for the Teacher Fellows Program through Texas State University. Prior to that, she taught in fourth and fifth grade. Courtney and I work at the same school, and she has always been someone that I look up to as an inspiration. She is positive and encouraging, and she loves her kids. Courtney and I run the gamut on things today. She shares wisdom about how to not let your emotions drive your actions when it comes to teaching. We also talk about how to stay connected with kids after they leave us. She uses a teacher Instagram, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Courtney is also a Google whiz, and she shares a lot of ideas of how to incorporate that into your classroom. And make sure to stick it out till the end because we talk about negative attitudes and give our two cents on the negative people in schools. So here's my conversation with Courtney. Hi, Courtney. Welcome to the Simply Teach podcast. I'm super excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) So I want you to start out with telling our listeners, um, a little bit about you as a person, but then also as a teacher. Sure. Um, well, that's a, that's a loaded question, isn't it? It's a lot of, (laughs) makes me think of interviews when they tell you that and you're like, Oh dear, what do I say? Um, so I have been in the education field. This is my seventh year. Um, I grew up in Texas and did a lot of work with children, growing up from a very young age and went to Texas State University. Go Bobcats. Yes, eat them up. Um, I was a member of the Teacher Fellows Program my first year, which is an amazing program for first-year teachers to get their master's degree while they're also working. Um, And so I graduated with my master's after my first year teaching. And this year um, I'm in a new role, but I've previously taught in fourth and fifth grade. Most of my teaching career has been in fifth grade, teaching dual language students. So students who are learning English and students who are learning Spanish. Um, And then this year I'm an exchange teacher. Well, and that's how you and I know each other. Aside from teaching at the same school, you were a teacher fellow the year before I was a teacher fellow. And I have that as something I want to talk about later in our conversation because you've been in both roles. You've been... Mm -hmm the person in the program and now you're one of the people supporting the the people in the program. So um, that's how we know each other. But I want to, when you filled out the form that I mm-hmm. sent you, you talked about, um, I'd asked you something about like why you became a teacher or mm-hmm. something like that. And you shared something really inspirational. Do you remember what that was? I'm sure. Yes. Uh, so my youth pastor, um, Growing up, I would we would have these opportunities. They're called mud camps, and then Camp Nikos, where um, mud camp was over spring break, and it's for inner city kids of Austin. And so I'd participate in that, and it's just a, camp, a free camp that we put on for them. And then Camp Nikos was in the summer, and so my youth pastor had experienced that with me, and we had done multiple. Events where um, he had seen me working with children. And so when I graduated high school, my mom put together a a little scrapbook for me where she had all the important people in my life just write messages to me. And um, his message to me really stuck uh, forever. It's still there in my brain all the time. And he told me, find where your deep gladness meets the world's deep need and live a life of self-giving love. Live So the very act of living opens up your heart to becoming more loving, more forgiving, more open, and more free. And that, when I was 18 and I read it, it resonated with me. But every year of college, I would look back at that quote and I would really think about what that looked like for me, finding my deep gladness and the world's deep need. What did that mean? Um, And so... 
as I went through my college career, I started off as a um, mass communications major and I really didn't like the classes. I knew it wasn't for me. And so that after my freshman year of college that summer, I was a nanny and um, I had so much fun working with those kids that summer. And I feel like that was when it clicked for me that my deep gladness was working with children. And um, I thought about all the teachers I had had, both good and bad. And I feel like we always have an incredible need for teachers who care and who have that within their hearts. That's their first First and foremost reason why they want to be in the classroom is because they love children and they want to see them succeed and um, just find what it is in life that they can do really well and just run with it, but also challenge and stretch them to grow in areas that maybe are not the strongest areas. And so um, I feel like at that point, it was like, this is this is what I need to do. I need to um, get into something where I can make a difference in the world, but it's something I also really love and enjoy. So does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Teaching wasn't something, cause like for me, I mean, like my memories as a little girl involve playing school as, mm-hmm. you know, and to my stuffed animals or whatever, but I'm finding that more and more people like that wasn't their, always their first you know, desire or choice. I actually, I was that, I was that little girl who had my stuffed animals and my little brother. He got roped in. Yes. Uh, yes. The um, poor younger siblings. Yes, I know. They, it's from a young age. I, I did play school and I wanted to be a librarian for a very long time. Mm. I loved reading. I loved our school librarian. Um, And I think that the reason for that was because I had such amazing teachers that they modeled that for me. They, um, you know, being in their class made me want to be like them. And so I think as I reflect on that, I think that as a kid, that came more from just my love for my teacher and seeing that they enjoyed what they did and they were happy and they made a difference. Um, I don't think at that young of an age, I realized like what, all it meant <laughs> to no. be a teacher. That was not where that was coming from, but I think it came from that love of that connection, that relationship, and just what was modeled for me um, really struck me at a young age. And then as I got older, I, I started to see more of why I wanted to become a teacher. Um, human relationship, connection, all of that is incredibly important to me. And I'm learning more and more about myself through just you know, each year and reflection of how, how that looks for me in my job. Um, but yeah. So. Well, I read that, I read that quote that your youth pastor wrote to you and like, I was like, Whoa, mm-hmm. that's really, really deep. But like, so how do you manage that desire to like love kids and serve kids, but also, cause I think as teachers, we have that, like, the tension of like, we serve these kids and we love these kids and we want to do everything for these kids. But we also have to like maintain that boundary of like, I'm a human too. Mm-hmm. And I have to, you know, respect my boundaries and, and respect my time. And so how do you like find that middle ground? Mm. Yes. Isn't that the question? Um, I think it's incredibly challenging when you invest so much of yourself, um, especially emotionally into kids' lives, it is hard to be able to say, I'm going to stop and I'm going to pull back now. Um, and knowing when that is, I think through experience you and through reflecting, um, you kind of figure out for me, where, where is that, where is that line of, okay, I need to just pull back. A lot of, a lot of times for me, it was just how I felt. If I was starting to feel, um, like there's a, I listened to a podcast where they talked about emotional agility. And one of the quotes was emotions are data, not directions. And so for me, if I started, I really tried to listen to my emotions. Like if I started feeling, you know, tired, I wasn't happy or I was getting frustrated. That to me was data that something, you know, you're not taking care of yourself. You're, you need to pull back a little bit and give yourself some of that to that time to, just rejuvenate and, you know, be refreshed and just be in the right mindset. So, um, I think 
for that question, it's, it's tough because it's different for each of us and what we're mm-hmm. able to, um, handle, I guess, uh, it's not the best word, but, um, it is hard to know when to pull back because it is a relationship. And I feel like for relationships to be authentic, you do have to, in a sense, go all in <laughs> and right. fully, um, be there for, for the kiddo. But, um, am I answering your question? No, you are. You are. I mean, because I think you were talking about like, and I I think that's what it is, is like, it's finding a balance. But then the question is like, how do you find a balance? But it's just (laughs) realizing what is like, I, I, what that quote you said about, um, what was it? Data. Emotions are data, not directions. Yes. And so like, that's a true point. Cause I can, I can picture myself in the classroom, getting really frustrated with my kids and like raising my voice and yelling at them. And it's because something else is going wrong that is causing my Mm -hmm. emotions to react in that way, you know, and it's, it's just having the realization to know, Hey, I need to take a step back. And I think sometimes as teachers, we don't feel that freedom Mm. to take the step back and just giving ourselves permission to be like, okay, I do need a break. I do need a mental health day. Or like I saw, um, one of the teacher fellows at another school in our district, she, I follow her on Instagram and she posted about taking a mental health day. Mm -hmm. And I was like, go you (laughs) for being a first year teacher and realizing like, I need a day to just breathe. I think absolutely that. And also giving yourself the freedom to not be perfect all the time. Yes. Uh, because I think as teachers, we especially, it's just, you know, in our nature to want to do something and do it a hundred percent the best mm-hmm. we can. And I remember writing down, I don't know, do, do you remember having to, with fellows, write your list of things you want to remember and your startup plan? Uh, yes. It was like a list of 10 things yes. and it was the very last part. Yes. I need to go back and read that. Uh, you should, because it's, I went back the other day and I was like, oh my gosh, I had some really good, I'm glad I chose mm-hmm. those 10 things. But one of the things that I had written down was about sometimes it's okay to cut corners. I don't know exactly. It was a be- much better quote than just that. But the idea of with all that you have to do as a teacher, sometimes one lesson is not going to be 120% my very best effort. But if it's a, if it's going to help you be healthy and to feel taken care of and to be ready to go for the next lesson, I think that that's okay to sometimes say, I'm going to scale back a little bit on this one. Um, and that's hard to do, especially when you care so much about what you do. But Mm -hmm. that was something I definitely had to learn was, you know, sometimes I just have to pump the brakes on this one here a little bit and just go home because I'm not doing myself any good or my students any good by just sitting here and trying to, you know, work myself into the ground, uh, to make every single lesson the most amazing lesson I could ever think of. And so I think that's tough for us, but I think it also is necessary because it's challenging to try to be perfect and you can't be perfect as a teacher or a person. Right. And I agree. Cause like, you say that. And I think, cause I look at you, you know, you're a year ahead of me and I feel like I've always looked at you. It's like, ah, Courtney, (laughs) but and you're telling me that, you know, there were times where you felt like cut corners, you know, I'm using quotation Mm -hmm. marks, but you know, like scale back. And it's like, I don't see those things. And I think we're so locked in our classrooms with our doors closed that we don't see the way other people are taking a step back and we just see what they're doing great. And and we feel the need to do that too, you know? And I, and I think that gets really dangerous. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just like social media, what you see is the best and the shiniest and the, you know, the best picture out of 20. Um, And it's the, I think with teachers, you have to remember that too, is what, teachers present on or talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, lots of times it's your very best lesson. Um, but there's a lot of other lessons that occur that may not be the (laughs) (laughs) one. Yes. And that's okay. That's part of, I mean, we're teachers. We, we teach students, we see the learning process and we have to give ourselves the same, um, perspective when we look at Mm -hmm. our lessons is, you know, 
each year you have a different group of kids. It's essentially a whole new learning process to learn how your kids learn best and what they struggle with and how you can support them. And so sometimes you're going to try something and it's going to fail miserably, but you just learn from it and that's how we get better. Yeah. Right. Okay. I want to talk about, you wrote about one of your, um, most memorable teaching moments okay. with a difficult student. Yes. So um, I had a student last year who he had zero confidence. Um, I feel like if you could go negative in the confidence area, that would where he was. He had already decided who he was in school and what his role was, and it was not um, to achieve. <laughs> it was, you know, to disrupt and to be funny. And um, I'm sure it's through years of just feeling like I can't do this or, you know, he's had... They say by second grade, you're, you've decided if you're good at something or not, which I think is pretty incredible. Um, oh, wow. I forget who I heard that from, but I, I remember hearing it. And it really stuck with me that by second grade, you, you're already saying, I'm good at math or I'm not good at math. I'm good at reading or I'm not good at reading, which is insane to me. But um, he was just, he did not want to complete work. He didn't want to do anything. Um, and... I think one thing that's really hard as a teacher is we're so used to instant gratification in our lives with so much. And Mm -hmm. I could give him praise and encouragement and sit beside him and he would do it right. And we would celebrate, but the next day it would be like going all the way back to the first day of school where it was, where did that confidence go? You just did it yesterday. Where is it at? And so I think for teachers realizing that you have to just be resilient and not not ever give up because you never know when for that kiddo, it's going to click. Um, right. And this boy in particular struggled academically, struggled emotionally, had dealt with some really terrible things in his life that no kid should have to go through. And he exhibited a lot of just behaviors that were not healthy. You know, it was a lot of aggressive behaviors, behaviors towards himself and other students um, and just had no care in the world. and would say things like, I'm stupid. I can't do this. I'm dumb. I'm not, I'm worthless kind of was his whole attitude. And so I would struggle so much on my drive home, just thinking about this kiddo and like, how do I get to him? How do I reach him? And just every day I had to go in and put a smile on and be positive and find something good he did and encourage him and tell him he could do it. And he would look at me and be like, why do you, why do you think I can do it? I can't do it. And would question me. Um, and it wasn't until the spring semester that I started to notice little changes. But the big thing for me was he had a YouTube channel and we were learning about it was something with fractions. I can't remember if it was adding and subtract, subtracting or multiplying and dividing. It was one of those. And um, sounds terrible. It, it's so fun, <laughs> you know, so fun. But he, um, he made a video where he gave, like he held his phone and with his other hand, he's sitting there solving a problem and listing out the steps of this is what you have to do. And he uploaded it to YouTube and he was so excited. He came and he shared it with me. And that moment for me was incredibly special because um, I had just been so, so working so hard to just pour into his life. And I hadn't seen any changes. It was like every day it was the same thing. And then all of a sudden one day, I don't know for him, it just, I don't know what it was. Um, if it was like, okay, she's really not going to give up on me. Um, she's not going to let me just be a behavior issue. She's not just going to let me hide in the corner. I don't, I don't know for him, whatever it was, I'd be curious to hear, but, um, Uh he just, it was like a light went on and he realized I can do it. And that YouTube video was probably one of the most rewarding moments for me to just see and hear him talking to other students and teaching them essentially telling them, this is what you do. This is how you solve the problem. And, um, after that moment, the year was, it was night and day. It was a completely different kid. And the neat thing is I've been able to keep up with him and I've visited him at middle school and he always comes up to me with a big smile on his face and is excited to tell me what he's accomplished. And so I think that, um, as a teacher can not giving up, even when you feel like nothing I'm doing is working, you never know when for a kid that 
it will just click and they'll realize that I am loved. I have an adult who's cheering for me and who believes in me. And okay, if they believe in me, then I guess I must be worth something and I must be able to accomplish something because um, that was a really neat moment. Yeah. That's so sweet. And I love that you, that's one thing I've noticed about you is you do keep up with your kids. Cause you're the, I feel like most of the, all the years I've known you, you've been fifth grade. I don't think I was at the school when you were in fourth grade. Yeah. Um, and I remember you going on our conference days during lunchtime to go and eat lunch with your, or like on your planning mm-hmm. days or whatever, you would go see your old kids. So I love that you have kept up with him. Um, and that's hard because like I, the thing you said about second grade, um, I had a sec cause I teach second grade mm-hmm. and I had a little girl that came into my class in the second day of school. She told me, Oh, I don't know how to read. I'm dumb. Mm. And I was like, okay, well you don't know how to read. That is true. But like, that doesn't mean you're dumb. Like I, it just, it, it baffled me that like this little seven year old mm-hmm. thought that of herself. And, um, you know, it just takes that like daily, making the choice to love this kid despite their difficulties or despite their, how frustrated they make you. And that gets tiring. (laughs) Oh, it is not easy. It's not. um, No, it's, that is, I think one of the toughest things in the job, but then when you taste and you see the reward Mm -hmm. and what you can accomplish through that, it's pretty incredible. But yeah, yeah, I think keeping up with kiddos, um, for me, that's, I think that's so neat that a teacher can, when you build a relationship, you know, you, it's, it's a weird job because you spend all this time in a school year getting to know kids and building relationships and then they move on and you get a new group and you have to start over again. <laughs> and then, um, it's like the group that moved on. Sometimes you see them, sometimes you don't. And so for me, I just, um, my fifth grade teacher, Miss Wallace, I, and I have a few teachers, Miss Wallace and Miss Bradley, one of my high school English teachers, they really modeled for me continuing that relationship, even when I wasn't their student. And Miss mm-hmm. like Wallace in particular, I would still, she would invite me back into her classroom and she would keep up with me. And um, that was amazing for me to see as an adult, just knowing, you know, you know, you have your parents and you have family and you have friends, but when you have a teacher who shows that they still care about you by like wanting to know how you're doing, I think that that's an incredible impact and a great way to build that community. So I always had that as a goal of mine was to just let my students know that, you know, you're my student for life, not just for the year you're in my classroom. And, Mm -hmm. um, I try to go to games and support them outside of school as much as I can. And I'm hoping for some invites to graduations once they get to that <laughs> level. I have a couple years, but, um, yeah, that's, it's, I think that's neat to be able to continue that lifelong, just being a cheerleader for life for those kids. What are some ways that you keep up with your kids since you are fifth or you've been in fifth grade and then they move on? What are some ways you keep up with them? So I have a teacher Instagram um, and I give and I have a teacher email that I created just for my students. And so the end of each year, I always would create a little parting gift for my kids where I would include a photo of us. And then I would write a little blurb about them and just what I loved about them. And then I would give them my email and just encourage them to keep up with me. The email, I, so, I sometimes get emails, but the teacher Instagram, I'm able to, um, I post just pictures of encouragement and my cat. They love my cat. So his <laughs> name is Beans. And so I'll post pictures of Beans and I'll, he'll say something like, you know, never give up. <laughs> it's cheesy stuff like that. But I think that kids need positive things in their uh-huh. social media. And I, um, I also am able to kind of monitor (laughs) and report things that seem not good, which I I think there needs to be more of an adult presence personally with some of our kids' social media accounts. Um, And then really it's just going to uh, the be- the best way I've stayed in touch with students is going to middle school sporting events. Mm-hmm. Um, do you just go on your own or do you wait for invitations? 
Sometimes I, I do have a few parents who are very good about always inviting me, uh-huh. but other times I'll just go on and look. They have their athletic schedules online and I'll find where there's our students go to, you know, two specific middle schools. And right. so I'll find when they're playing each other and I'll go to that game. Oh. And I know usually I, I see students most of the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, so in band concerts, that's another one I try to attend and well, plays. So I try to hit all of those sports, music and theater. That's um, such a good idea because I've often yeah. wondered, like, I want to keep in contact with my kids, but I'm also in second. So it's like at a little bit of a different life stage, mm-hmm. but um, I like the teacher Instagram. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Tiffany Shin was actually the one who, um, I guess gave me the idea. Cause uh-huh. I noticed that she was still, you know, following yes. her students and keeping up with them through that. And Which, so first of all, I'm like, you're in fifth grade. Why do you have an Instagram? But that's, I know it's bizarre. It is, <laughs> it is so weird to me, but, um, I'm, I don't know. It's, it works and I'm able, there was a few times where I did try to post like math problems like, Oh, I drove this many miles today. How many yards is that? Or I did something silly and I only had a few kids who, (laughs) they're not, they're not very into the the quizzing academically on Instagram, but they do seem to appreciate when I'm like, I'll, you know, just try to post encouraging messages Uh and um, I think that that's always, it can't hurt. Yeah. Can How often do you help. post on there? Um, once every couple weeks, okay. typically. Um, wow. When I go on trips, I post more because um, it all started when I was going on my trip to Italy and I wanted my students yeah. to be able to see. And so that was kind of when I first thought about it. And then now it's turned into just a trying to shine light and be positive in as many ways as I can <laughs> with the kiddos. Okay. So I'm going to create my teacher Instagram and then I'm going to find your teacher Instagram and go find all my old kids. Go for it. Yeah. Because that's <laughs> really, I, I like that idea a lot. Um, okay. Which kind of brings me to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is something you're really an expert. I, an expert at, I think is technology and incorporating mm. that into the classroom. Um, specifically, I know you're Google certified. I don't know. Is yes. That what it's called? I'm level one certified. Good girl. <laughs> you know, big deal. Kind of a big deal. <laughs> uh, what does that mean to be Google one certified? So I just, I had to go through their course. It's pretty, it's a lot of the basics, a lot of, you know, Google Docs, Google Slides, Google Sites, just everything Google. Um, so you take a course and it just walks you through what each of the aspects of um, the Google, <laughs> the Google. <laughs> and I, uh, and then you take the test. Honestly, the test was my favorite part because of the way Google sets it up. You have to create, you know, the assessment is like create this Google slide and add an image and put this title and then share it with this person. And so the entire assessment, you're just testing your Google knowledge. And I actually learned more from the assessment than from the course. I loved the assessment. It was really interesting to me. Um, so Does it cost anything to go through it? $10 to take the test. Oh, wow. That's pretty steep. I, don't know. I know. I know. But I think within our district, they'll, they'll um, they pay for it. Mm-hmm, if you want to do it, I think if they'll reimburse you. So yeah, yeah. it's, so what are some ways that you incorporate the Google into your classroom. <laughs> so Google is amazing. I love it. Um, Google Classroom is life-changing as a teacher, I think. Um, you can post assignments and you start to then think about students doing assignments electronically and not printing out paper, which uh-huh. I had a lot of fun with last year, especially with Google Slides. I would kind of come up with a bare bones Google Slides and it would have the questions and the directions. But what was neat is I could in- input pages where it would be videos. Like if you need to go back and watch this again, mm. watch this video. And so for my students who maybe needed a refresher, they, they had that built into the assignment. Um, and then they would go in and they could, you know, edit the whole slides presentation, the theme, change the fonts and the colors, which they loved that creative aspect of it. But then, um, 
they would type in their responses and take pictures of their work and upload it into the slides and then fill in the question stems at the bottom of each slide. And that would be how I would assess them. They would just then turn it into Google Classroom and I could go on. I had my little rubric in front of me and I would just go through each slide and grade how they did. And there was no paper (laughs) except for my rubric that I would then... You So that was really neat to Google Classroom. If you haven't played around with it, I would definitely recommend playing around with it because being able to, to post things on there is very helpful. And um, I know not, I know we don't have one-to-one technology, but you can, you know, if you have, even in your guided reading stations, you could have an assignment in Google Classroom and then they have to log in, complete the assignment and post it. So it has that accountability. Mm-hmm. Um Google Forms are awesome for grading. So you can create quizzes in Google Forms where you just, with each question you add, you um, say what the correct answer is and how many points it's worth. And then it grades it as students complete it. So you don't have to it sit there and grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is wonderful. That's another life-changing one, I think, as a teacher to give you that that time back that you would normally spend grading. Um, right. I also used Google Slides to guide my my lessons every day. So since I taught three math classes in fifth grade, and I'm an I'm an orange, my personality, so I'm kind of all over the place. And so I would worry that, well, what if I do something with one class and then I forget or I miss it with the next class, like keeping track of everything I had to teach mm-hmm. and making sure I covered everything and I was consistent with all three classes. And so I just would sit down and I would have my lesson plans on one screen. And on the other screen, I would pull up a Google slide and I would just go through my lesson and create slides for each piece. Um, And then when I would be in front of the class, I could just click through the slides and it would lead me through my entire lesson. So I think using Google slides as a teacher is is very, very helpful because I was never good about having my lesson plan the paper plan in front of me um, and looking at it and making sure I was doing everything I needed to do. So that was one way to, to help that issue. Um, and then you can input videos and images and make it very kid friendly. So uh, Google slides are amazing for your, your lessons. And then my other favorite in Google currently, I really like the new Google sites so if you're wanting to create a web page, the um, Google Sites new layout is very user-friendly and it looks very professional. The old template I wasn't as big of a fan of, but having a website where then you can post for parents to see. So like I would take my slides presentations and I would just upload it onto my website so parents could go on and view everything their kids were seeing in class which I think, I don't know how many of my parents really, I never got that feedback of how many actually looked at it, but I didn't have a lot of parents asking me, how are you teaching this or what are they learning? Because they could always view that. Um, And your Google account is linked to a YouTube account. So it's also really easy to just turn on an iPad and video yourself solving a problem and then Uh upload it to your YouTube and then share that with parents and students to support them at home. Uh, so that was a really long answer, but that <laughs> those I are some of my favorite things with Google. A lot more questions now that you said that. <laughs> so, okay, my first question is: What do you think is the appropriate age, or what do you think is like? I have been intimidated by Google as a second grade teacher because I'm like, my kids sometimes don't even know how to like exit out of a. That's not true. They know how to exit out. But, you know, like things get messed up on the computer and they're like, I don't even know how to handle that. And so Google kind of intimidates me. Where do you think the appropriate age is to start? Or do you think there is one? Well, I guess for me, my experience was always upper grades. But I did, um, Allison Auth, she's a first grade teacher at Elm Grove Elementary, and she, um, she this year was, I was blown away by what she was working on this summer, um, with my tech course, where she was creating all these Google slides and doing this whole blended learning thing with her classroom where her kiddos were using technology. Um, now she, it was, her slides looked a little bit obviously different than my slides, but she was, she was using it with her students and, um, that was 
neat to see. So, I mean, as early as first grade, I've, I've seen teachers planning stuff. I think a lot of with technology, I think it's whatever. So like Chromebooks, I personally like better with Google than with iPads. iPads, the sign in process can get a little funky because Chromebooks, students are signing into Google when they log into a Chromebook. And so they're already logged in. Um, Whereas an iPad, if someone's logged in and they have to log out, there's a little bit more work involved. Um, But I think if you just teach the kids and show them what your expectations are, then I think that they can handle it as long as they're, they're just, they're taught what you expect. Yeah. I think that's the intimidating thing for me is Mm -hmm. like, the teaching them and the, the introducing of it. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot for this and I'm sorry. Cause I don't, I didn't no, prepare for this, but you were talking about lessons you did with the Google classroom mm-hmm. with your kids. Can you give us like a specific, so you taught math. Can you give mm-hmm. us like a specific lesson you taught using the Google? So a teacher listening can be like, Oh, well I can incorporate that this way. Yes. So um, in fifth grade, I had to teach how to divide a unit fraction by a whole number and a whole number by a unit fraction, which that I don't was, even know what that means. That's <laughs> second grade. <laughs> yeah, it was um, that was one that was very intimidating for me when it first that was a new math teak when I changed those a little while ago. Um, so that was when I was nervous about. And so last year, my students, we do it all with models. Um they just, they have to create models to show how the division problem would look. And so the Google slide, I had four slides and two slides were dividing a unit fraction by a whole number and two slides were um, dividing a whole number by a unit fraction. And so this was towards the very end of my teaching um, of this unit. This was, I had, we had already done lots of practice in class and they were given um, a word problem. And then they had to solve the problem using models on a whiteboard. And they had to take a picture of their work on the whiteboard. And by models, do you just mean like writing it pictures, out? Pictures, pictorial models. Okay. Yeah, they were drawing pictures. Okay. Um, and so then they would just, on the Chromebooks, they can just insert image and take a photo of their work. And they put it directly into the Google slide. And then at the bottom, below the picture, I had sentence stems where um, they would have to fill in the blank. So one of the sentence stems was, oh gosh, let's see if I can remember. I think it was, um, in this problem, my total was blank because the main thing was that they had to know what is, what am I dividing up? Am I dividing up a fraction or am I dividing up a whole number? And mm-hmm. so they had to fill that in. My total was blank. I divided my total into blank parts. My, my quotient is blank. And so they then filled in each of those blanks. And I, I did have to go through it. I mean, it took time for me to explain how you insert an image, how you take an image, you know, how you um, change the blank into your answer. So, uh, but it was worth it. The kids were very engaged. And I loved being able to see their work as um, electronically as they were turning it in. And I was able to walk around and support students working and not, I wasn't at the front of the classroom giving direct instruction and they were, they were very engaged. So that was one example. <laughs> That's really cool. The, and the engagement part, cause kids are like so addicted to technology. I'm like, Oh my mm-hmm. goodness. Um, okay. I kind of want to switch gears now. Okay. And you talked a little bit about teacher fellows. Uh, we talked about at the very beginning. So will you just explain the program for people who are listening that are like, what is that? (laughs) Yes. Um, gladly. So the teacher fellows program is, um, a program with Texas state university. It's a graduate program for first year teachers, though there are some second year teachers that have gone through the program. So the idea is as a first year teacher and you are ending your college career and going into your teaching career, you would continue the college (laughs) by um, having, uh, so it's a 15 month program. And so the summer before your first year teaching, you begin your graduate coursework. It's all about preparing you to be the best teacher you can be. And so the program is specifically designed for each piece 
um, of the 15 months, I feel like to, to support the first year teacher and where they're at. Mm -hmm. So the summer before it's all about what are my procedures? What are my routines? Let me create a whole startup plan of what my classroom is going to look like. Um, and really forces them to think through many little small details that are extremely important that most teachers may not think about in their first year and then slowly realize I need to figure this out. I need to figure out procedures and expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the teachers go through a 15 month graduate coursework while they're also teacher of record, um, in a classroom, they have their own classroom. They are the teacher. They have all the same requirements as every other teacher on campus, but they also are going to class on Monday nights and one Saturday a month. Um, working towards getting their master's degree. So they have a uh, first summer before their teaching, their spring, their fall and spring semester, and then they have a second summer and then they graduate with their master's degrees. So it is intense, but it is well worth it. Yeah. Well, and you and I have both had experience in it. And um, I mean, you're so right. It goes through, like I I tell people this who any student teachers I see on campus or any new teachers, I always tell them my second year of teaching was more stressful than my first year of teaching because yes. the part you didn't mention is your new role oh, yes. is an exchange teacher. <laughs> that might be important, right? That might be important. <laughs> yeah. It, that you have, you know, as a person in the program, you have a mentor with you. What is it? Six hours a week? Yes. A, a give or take. Um, coaching you and supporting you in the classroom. Yes. I, I don't know how I didn't mention that part. That's like, that was the draw for me going into my first yes. year was having that support. And so, so yeah, my role as an exchange teacher, I don't have my own classroom this year. I go in with my three first year teachers who are on my campus and I'm with them, six, like you said, six hours a week supporting them. And it's a wide variety of support. I mean, it covers everything. So um, that has been really, really fun to now be on this end <laughs> and experience well, I still it. remember the day that I was teaching, I don't know, math or <laughs> I think it was a small group math lesson. I don't know. And I literally like my exchange teacher was in the classroom with me and I, whatever I was teaching wasn't making sense. And I started crying in the middle of a lesson and I looked at her and I said, I can't do this. And I got up and walked out. And she took over the lesson for me and, and finished it because I couldn't. And most first year teachers don't have that, that yeah. luxury. Yeah. Oh, I, it's funny. I had almost, a, it's not that it wasn't math. It was science. And I was doing, I was doing some lab where we were supposed to model the seasons and the earth's ro uh, revolution around the sun. And I feel like because I didn't under, fully understand what I was teaching, maybe, I don't know. I had a moment where I was like, this is a disaster. I'm messing them up forever. They're not learning. And I started crying and my ET, I remember just being like, no, they're, they had, they didn't even know you messed up. Yeah. You're okay. Yeah. And she just kind of was able to talk me through those tough moments that mm -hmm. you just, you just can't prepare for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. What do you say to the veteran teacher who is dealing mm. with the new teachers. I think that was a struggle for me my first year, having teachers who were experienced. And then this new, excited girl comes on campus. And what do you say to the veteran teacher? Yeah, I, I feel like what's weird about teaching is, um, you know, I feel like when you look at doctors, for example, when they start out, it's, they're not at the same level as veteran doctors. You have to kind of work your way up and there's different levels. And, um, and I obviously don't know that much about how that works, but I feel like teaching and a first year teacher, you're thrown in and you are immediately at the same level as a teacher who's been teaching for 20 years. You both have the same responsibilities. You both have to teach the same things. You have classrooms full of kids and behavior issues. And I think for veteran teachers, sometimes it's easy to forget, especially for a first year teacher who comes in and is like, I've got, you know, I'm so excited. I've got all these ideas. It's easy to forget how overwhelming learning what being a teacher is truly is. Um, and so just taking a moment to pause and remember a moment from your first year that was challenging to give you that, I guess, empathy towards how first year teachers, uh, just what they're dealing with and what all they have on their plates. I think taking the time to listen, um, and just, you know, 
really trying to listen to understand where they're coming from. So if like a first year teacher is, has new ideas and maybe in your head, you're like, I know that's not going to work. Still listen, um, let them be heard and let them try it out and don't poo poo their ideas, but let them, you know, real, I come to those realizations that maybe this wasn't the best way on their own and then guide them through it after the fact and say, okay, so, you know, what would you do differently? I think being, um, being flexible to with just trying new things. I think as a veteran teacher, try something new that they bring in, um, you know, be willing to grow and learn from them just like they're going to learn and grow from you. So, um, yeah. And I think just remembering that excitement when I think about my first year Mm -hmm. teacher, I was so excited and I was talking, I think it was Tiffany's conversation, um, on the last episode, I talked about how my first year of teaching, I would stay late and, you know, mm-hmm. I was just so excited and so passionate. And I remember I sat in a team meeting and I shared an idea and a person on the team was like, basically, why would we do that? That's the dumbest idea ever. And mm-hmm. I remember just feeling so belittled because mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm the new one. I don't know what I'm talking about. And just remembering that they have that excitement and you know, when you've been in the teaching world for even more than a couple of years, you kind of, uh, grow. What's the, what's that word? Uh, I'm become jaded. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and then you like forget about that excitement mm-hmm. and sometimes that's what, that's what we need is that excitement back in the classroom. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Take, take some of that on yourself. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's, we can all learn from one another. Even if you're a very first year teacher, you're, you still have lots of great ideas and you're coming fresh out of college where you've just learned all this new, amazing um, resources that you can share. So I think we can just learn from one another and be open to, to sharing your wisdom, but also gaining some maybe new wisdom from them. Yes. I I think that's important is being willing to learn. Okay. What do you say uh, three management tips you would give to a new teacher who doesn't have the support that the fellows program offers? So first I would say have something in place for recognizing positive behavior because most of the time students, the when they act out, it's for attention. Most of the time it's for attention, not all the time, but a lot of the time students want your attention. And so, um, it's very easy as teachers to get roped into giving, you know, redirecting and your attention is then going towards the not good behavior. So have a positive behavior plan, um, something that's easy and manageable. I, my first year, my individual reward system when I went in was a whole ticket system and it was very complicated. (laughs) And I, my personality, I didn't, I couldn't maintain it consistently. Um, and so I then came across through my, our Inspire trainings, actually, a, a teacher shared with us the hundreds chart where students sign, uh, you laminate a hundreds chart and students will sign a number. And once it's completely filled up, you just choose you know, however many random numbers and whoever's name is on that gets a reward. So finding something that you can manage and manage consistently because students wills like if you're not consistent with it it loses its value and its power and so have something that you can recognize positive behavior and then also um giving any sort of management strategy time uh it's easy for us to try something a couple times and say oh that didn't work but Typically, you need to give it a, like give it a month, try it out, and really see is it working, and try it out consistently. Um, so, I guess well, one thing would be positive behavior. Two, um, be consistent. Consistency is so 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 important. The last thing, I think, with being able to be human around kids. And so like, sometimes we mess up too. And being able to tell kids, I'm sorry, you know, I didn't handle that the best way I should have handled it and have those authentic conversations with them. Um, a lot of times, like if I had a kid who was talking to me, maybe with a, you know, maybe more aggressive, like they were really upset. And so they were maybe using louder voice or whatever. Uh Um, I would just calmly say, am I talking to you the way you're talking to me right now? And, you know, I'm being respectful to you and how I'm talking. So I need, I expect you to be respectful back. And if 
we need to wait and have this conversation later, then we can wait and have this conversation later. But I think being willing to be honest with yourself about like, oh, I didn't handle that the best way. And then going back and letting the kids know that. Cause I think that mm-hmm. speaks volumes to kids when teachers say, oh guys, I'm sorry. You know, I raised my voice yesterday and that was wrong of me and I shouldn't have done it that way. I was just frustrated because of, you know, and modeling that for them of how right. to handle those situations as even as an adult when they come up. So, yeah. um, that's something I try to do. Um, like if I come in and I'm having a bad day, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then seeing an adult like you saying, you know, I've, I've had a bad day that models for them. Well, if they have a bad day, they know now they can come to you and say, you know, it was a bad morning and it mm-hmm. gives them that tool of how to handle those emotions, you know, right. appropriately whenever they come across it. But Okay, we're coming up coming up on our time, so I wanted to wrap okay. up with my three questions. First one: What is your biggest pet peeve in teaching or with teaching? Well, I guess my biggest pet peeve is um, I don't like negativity, and I'm learning. My mom has been teaching me all about my personality style. Um, and I think it's a lot of it with my personality is I like to be positive and mm-hmm. um, that's not always good. But I just think that when you're around people who all they want to do is complain and yes. point out what's not right, I get that there's a time and place because our job mm-hmm. is not easy. And sometimes we need to vent and um, let that out. But you can't sit there. You can't stay in that place. You have to give yourself that time and then move on because I think it's incredibly toxic. And, um, I think that you need people who can be positive and look for solutions. Mm -hmm. And so that is my biggest pet peeve is just fixed mindset. People who just always have an excuse or reason why, you know, things aren't going right and they're not looking to move forward. And how can I improve this? That is like one of my biggest struggles right now is um, I feel like there's a lot of negative negativity around our campus right now. And that's fine. You can be negative and have negative thoughts. But if you're not going to do anything, if you're not going to provide feedback, mm-hmm. if you're not going to provide um, a solution mm-hmm. or even be willing to voice your opinion and say, I don't agree with this, then I'm like, stop talking. <laughs> like, if yeah. you're not going to help, then then you know, what's the point? Like we've got to, yeah, you're not moving anywhere. You're just staying in the same negative spot complaining and it's not getting anything better. I agree. I think it's, you know, that's not how change occurs. So, okay. So what's keeping you sane right now in teaching? I think surrounding myself with people that I know anytime I'm around them, I'm going to be filled up. Um, they're, you know, there's just certain people in in my life. And so like Laura Duhon, every time Mm I see her, I see her every Tuesday and every day I leave just so happy because she's just um, a great person that speaks truth and wisdom and reminds me of, you know, things that I always just, it seems to be exactly what I need to be reminded of in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, I've just got a Fitbit. And so I've been like, having to meet my steps. And so walking a lot in the evenings Uh has really been very nice uh, just to kind of wind down and process and think about the day. Um, And then my mom, every day, every day when I drive home, I call her and we just chat and she's my person that, you know, I can just lay it all out there. And I know that she'll give me, she won't just tell me what I want to hear, but she'll Uh really um, give me sound advice. And so that is, that keeps me sane is just having people that I know I can talk to and, um, and then also being active and getting some of that, working some of the stress off. Mm-hmm. And then last question, favorite kid moment can be funny, can be like emotional, oh, just dear. favorite memory you have with the kid. 
you're going to have a hard time topping Tiffany's. Um, did you make, did you listen yes. to that? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't have anything as crazy. Well, there's always weird poop stuff, but I won't do a poop story. Um, favorite kid moment. So, so a few years ago I had, I don't know. I just hurt myself a lot in the classroom. I did a lot of weird things like on accident, but I stapled two of my fingers together while I was direct teaching. And I like lifted my hand up and there was a stapler hanging from my hands. And I'm like, it's okay. And I just pulled it out. And the kids were mortified. And I'm, you know, I'm here like, oh gosh, that was terrible. And that same year, um, we were playing math kickball. I, we do it after star. I take them outside and uh-huh. we use task cards and if they get it right, they, you know, get to kick the kickball. And I got kicked in the, they kicked, the kid kicked it so hard. I didn't have time to dodge. It hit me straight full in the face. Um, and so at the end of the year, the kids were making in technology, they make these Google slides where it's like uh-huh. memories from the year. And like yeah. every single kid had a slide about me stapling my fingers. Like rem- I remember, I'll never forget the time you stapled your fingers and the time you and then multiple kids put pictures of like people getting hit with ball like those you know different balls uh-huh. in the face and their face all smushed it's like and I'll never forget when you got I'm like that's what you learned <laughs> but that one yeah I guess that's not that's not a very good kid moment I have another favorite kid moment I I had a student who was a behavior issue and I found out when he had left me and he was in seventh grade he got sent to impact uh-huh. and um I went and visited him and I go in the room and they sit me in this room and then they were like, we're going to go get him. And they bring him in and he walks in. And as soon as he sees me, the tears, he just started crying. And I started crying and we were both crying. Um, but what, what's neat is I, his brother this year is in one of the classes that I'm working with. And he came up to me and was like, you went and visited my brother. Um, and he Aww. knew about that. And so uh-huh. for me, that was a really neat moment. And he hasn't been back to impact since. Um, we talked a lot about just, you're better than this and you're worth more than Mm -hmm. this. And so that was a neat kid moment for me too, to just see the, see him be so, um, moved by that. And for me to feel so moved by that, but I don't know. I I don't You brought tears to my eyes right now (laughs) thinking about that. (laughs) It was pretty, it was an emotional moment for sure. I'll never forget that, but, um, Well, that makes me think last year I went and visited this kid that I had when he was in third grade and he was a difficult kid. And I went and visited him last year in middle school and uh, he's a big sports guy. And I guess the time I went was while he was in PE and I was like, take me around your school. Like, I want to see, show me your class. And he's like, miss, I just want to get back. Like we're playing basketball (laughs) today. And I was like, I'm here to have this emotional moment with you. I care about getting back to your basketball game. Yeah. Priorities, man. Priorities. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the episode today. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you sharing, um, you know, just your experiences of, of staying positive and, and working through with those kids. And I think those are things that, you know, as teachers, we need to be reminded of because we, we forget in, in the hardness of it. So yeah, that's tough, but it's so worth it. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is. Well, I love being on here, so thank you. Yeah, of course. Courtney and I had such a good conversation, and she had so much wisdom to share with me that, in fact, I had to edit out a lot of mm-hmm and yes and rights because everything she was saying, I was just like, oh my gosh, yes, you're so right. If you're getting ready to enter the teaching field and you are at all interested in the teacher fellow program, I'll leave a link to it in the show notes, but here's what I can tell you. First year of teaching is hard work. It's not a joke. And the teacher fellow program comes alongside you and supports you each and every step of the way. Sure, you're going to the school at the same time that you're teaching, but every bit of coursework is directly related to your classroom. Plus, you get a mentor that spends six hours a week in your classroom coaching, supporting, mentoring, and helping you. It would be worth investigating and applying for. Before I go, I want to make sure that you've connected with me in two places. First, the Simply Organized Teacher Community Facebook group. The group is a place for us to interact together, support, and collaborate, and I would love for you to join us there. Just search the Simply Organized Teacher on Facebook and make sure to click the group. Secondly, I want to make sure that you're on my email list. I will share all sorts of stuff there first, and I want you to know about it first. 
friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Simply Teach. Don't forget to head over to the simplyorganizedteacher.com for all of the show notes, links to the things we talked about, and you can sign up for my email list there. Also, be sure to find the Facebook group. I want to be your social media friend. The fun music you're listening to, that is provided by hooksounds.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Simply Teach. I ho- we hope you feel encouraged and encouraged and inspired to continue being the amazing teacher you are. Thank. Make sure to join back next week for a new episode. Oh, and don't forget to sus- subscribe on iTunes and leave a review so the other great teachers like you can find us.